All right, a couple things before we get in here. Uh, first is, uh, this is week four of us being back. And uh, I just want to remind uh, all of us who are in the room and those of you uh, who are Facebook Live in it from back there, uh, from wherever you are in the world, um, that uh, whether you're here or there, there's freedom. Um, that those who are at home, uh, we can't really say to them, you are too cautious, this is unwise, that's silly, you're not committed to Jesus or our church. We're not going to have any of that here. On the flip side, too, uh, we don't want you guys uh, saying to us that are here in this room, uh, you guys are unwise, silly, taking too many chances, blah, blah, blah. We want to stay unified as a church. Uh, and uh, that's going to mean that we have an enormous uh, amount of uh, grace with one another, uh, that there's room for dialogue, there's room for disagreement. Um, but we want to stay unified first and foremost. That's the first thing. Second thing is... Uh, there's a lot of little people in here that uh, weren't uh, in worship several months ago, uh, pre-mid-March. Uh, and if that's you, we're so glad you're here. Parents, uh, they're getting on your nerves more than they're getting on our nerves. Uh, so please keep them in here. Uh, I, I can talk over all of them uh, quite well, uh, with or without this, actually. So um, let's pray. Father, we uh, come to you, and um, we need your help yet again tonight. Uh, I need your help as the preacher, Lord. I have nothing uh, but my own vanity and insecurity uh, to add to this event. And so, Lord, I pray you would give me great grace. Lord, I pray for my listeners, uh, those who are here, Lord, that they uh, would tune into you as these are your words, uh, the very words of God. Praise things your name. Amen. Uh, so I think this is uh, week six. We're looking at the Psalms. Uh, we've kind of been building in some ways a theology of emotions that what we see in the Psalms is really the whole palette of human emotions. Uh, and tonight we're going uh, to get into uh, really the emotion of joy. We're going to do that by looking at Psalm 16. And if you see Psalm 16, you'll see the very first word. It says, preserve me, O God, preserve. Uh, David is saying that he feels, uh, he, that he feels in danger. And when I think of this whole dynamic of danger and protection, um, I think of uh, Denzel Washington movies, uh, the thrillers. Uh, I love uh, Man on Fire. Anybody Man on Fire in here? 2004, Circa. Um, so Man on Fire, if you've not watched it, uh, Denzel Washington is playing a bodyguard. Uh, he's watching over this nine-year-old little girl who's the daughter of a wealthy automaker. And, um, and so this wealthy automaker hires... Um, Denzel Washington to be the bodyguard. He's been bodyguard for years and years and years. He's been in the Marines. He's done it uh, privately. And he thinks, gosh, this little nine-year-old girl from this really nice family, this is going to be cake. Well, it's not. Um, let's just say that. And I don't want to spoil, spoil it because it's great. Um, but I think of bodyguards. Uh, when I think of protection, I think of other things in movies. Uh, you know, Simba needs the protection of uh, Timon and Pumbaa there for a little while. Uh, you think about... Um, the line, the witch in the wardrobe, think about Aslan. Aslan protects the people and ends up dying in the process. So danger, protection, and these really are a reality that we're trying to negotiate in our lives. And I think it's a really big part of the discussion, uh, both around racial injustice and the pandemic, isn't it? Think about racial injustice. People of color are in danger due to brutal policing. And so there's this call to defund the police. 
Well, right alongside that call is a, a fear that reducing the police force is going to lead to less public protection. Then you've got the pandemic. You've got this virus. It's dangerous in lots of ways. It can make you so sick. It can lead to the end of your life. Uh, it is uh, highly contagious, which makes it dangerous. So we wear masks for protection. Danger, protection. Well, in addition to all of these, you have the ever-present spiritual dynamics. The scriptures present this three-headed monster that's dangerous to us. The three-headed monster is Satan, our sinful nature, and the world. And, and by world, I, I mean the broken orders and systems that promote, that promote death instead of life. See, listen to these passages. This is Satan, 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So lions are dangerous, right? Well, Satan's dangerous. We don't have real lions hunting us down, but we do have Satan. And so we need protection. You've got our sinful nature. Romans 8.13 says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, by flesh, Paul doesn't mean your physical body. By flesh, he means your, phys your sinful nature, that which is embedded into your spiritual DNA. And Paul's saying here that our sinful nature is so dangerous that it can kill us. Danger. Then lastly, you look at John 15, verses 18 and 19. Jesus says, if the world hates you, talking about his followers, Know that it hated me first before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So Jesus is talking here and he's saying that the order and the systems didn't just misunderstand him. They were hostiles towards him. They were so hostile that they put him to death. And if that's what they did to Jesus, Jesus is saying, then that's what they're going to do to you too. So the world is dangerous and we need protection. So now you see, you see how necessary protection is for us. Well, that's what Psalm 16 is really all about. So let's read it together. We'll read the whole thing, uh, starting in verse 1. We'll read through verse 11. Reserve me. O oh God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints of the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord's my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. And therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
So you see verse 1, this is about David feeling threatened. He's in danger. And that's why he uses the word preserve. This word preserve, the original language in the Hebrew, uh, is also used in Exodus 23 and, and, and Psalm 91. And the psalmist there uses it to talk about angels protecting God's people. He uses it in Leviticus and Numbers, same word, to talk about the Levites, or the priests, that they're protecting the Ark of the Covenant. This word keep, this word preserve, this word uh, guard is used in our benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Jeremiah 31 says that God keeps his people like a shepherd keeps his flock. So you put all these together and you get the sense that David is asking this from God. He's saying, God, I'm vulnerable. You're powerful. Keep me safe. That's what he's saying. Preserve me, O God. And the rest of verse 1 says, For in you I take refuge. David here saying that God's his hiding place. That's where David's saying he goes for protection when he's in danger. When you think about refuge, at least for me, I, I think about bunkers. I think about, I, I think about um, bomb shelters. I think about invisibility cloaks. I mean, what could be a better superpower? I mean, flying would be pretty great, right? But invisibility it would be amazing. It's what you see with Violet and the Incredibles. This is what you've got with Frodo and the Lord of the Rings. It's what you have uh, with the invisible woman in Fantastic Four and Harry Potter. You know, Harry Potter's got an invisibility cloak. It's what he uses to sneak off to get some candy. All that's for protection. And the first verse of this psalm is saying, preserve me, for in you I take refuge. So for you to pray that prayer, you have to see yourself as vulnerable. You have to be afraid of this three-headed monster of Satan, your sinful nature, and evil in the world. See, Satan's not going to come to you. He's not going to come to you frontally and say, hi, my name is Satan, and I'm here to ruin your life. That's not what Satan does. Satan instead goes to your sinful nature. He pours gas on it to convince you that you don't need healthy authority in your life, that, you don't, that, you, that it's okay to be isolated, that it's okay not to forgive someone else, that it's okay to never apologize. He wants to keep you in bondage to your shame and your guilt. That's what Satan does. And then Satan throws gas on the world. He wants to make our world increasingly more divided. He wants to move our public discourse from being something civil where we agree to disagree to something more like cancel culture. I mean, I could go on and on. But when you come to grips with this reality of Satan, your sinful nature in the world, then you'll begin to throw on your invisibility cloak. You'll begin to call out to your God and pray, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. But notice verses 2 to 9, how things change. Notice what the psalmist does once he throws on his invisibility cloak. In verses 2 to 9, he begins to talk to himself. And notice what he rehearses. Verse 2, he finds pleasure in the Lord. 
Verse 3, he finds pleasure in God's people. Verse 4, he notices the miserable plight of the godless. In verses 5 and 6, he accepts the life that God has ordained for him. Verses 7 and 8, he glories in God's nearness to him. So you see what he's doing. He's preaching to himself. He's rehearsing truth to himself over and over. But when I'm feeling vulnerable, when I'm feeling dangerous, or when I feel in danger, I don't rehearse truth to myself. I'm much more likely to rehearse all of my problems and go back over all of my old wounds. I begin to say, you know the reason my life's so hard is because God didn't do X. My parents didn't do Y. The church didn't do Z. The government didn't do A, B, C, D, E, F, or G. Now, some of that might be true. And some of that might need to be addressed, but it's highly likely that when you put yourself in the psalmist, David's shoes, things will change for you. See, David in Psalm 16 is very likely being hunted down. He's not king yet. Saul's the first king of Israel. David's the second one. Saul sitting on the throne. He sees that as in jeopardy because he sees David beginning to ascend. He sees his talent. He sees his charisma. And so he threatens David. And David takes off and he hides. He hides in a cave. And it's very likely that's where he wrote this psalm. But you notice who's not mentioned in Psalm 16. Saul. Saul's not mentioned here. He's not complaining about Saul. Rather, he's setting his thoughts on the Lord. And you see that David has developed this kind of discipline of preaching to himself. You hear it in statements like, I say to the Lord, the Lord's my chosen portion. I bless the Lord. I've set the Lord always before me. There's a discipline about it for him. And those are the things that we do when we take refuge. Now, you might begin to think, well, this is some kind of, this, this is like the power of positive thinking. No. <laughs> this isn't some kind of Tony Robbins baloney. This is truth. This is truth about God who's alive and he's changing you. But maybe right now, maybe when you're in your invisibility cloak, you can't muster up a sermon. You can't preach to yourself. That's how dull you've become. That's how weak you are. That's how hurt you are. If you can't preach to yourself, great, you can call me, I'll preach to you. I'm kidding. Um, But here's what you can do. You can call a brother or sister and you say, will you call me every morning and read Psalm 16 to me? You can call a brother and sister and say, hey, will you uh, read Ephesians 1? Will you read Psalm 139 to me? I'm just too weak, but I need to hear it. I think that's why in verse 3, David prays this about the saints. He says that they're the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Because I, had, I think there have been times up to this point in David's life and in his leadership that he couldn't pray those prayers for himself and he had somebody else do it for him. He realized firsthand the value of gospel fellowship. But look what happens. Look what happens if you preach to yourself or you have someone else preach to you in verses two to eight. Look at verse nine, the first word. The first word there is therefore. So what he's saying is because I've preached to myself, something's about ready to happen to me. 
And in verses 9 to 11, the thing that happens to David is that he breaks out into a song. He's marched out all these truths to himself, and it's worked him into a song. And as you read verses 2 to 8, you feel the momentum building, don't you? It's like he's cranking the chain to his engine. It's like he's on the runway, and he's gaining steam. And then in verse 9, the wheels lift up, and he soars. He bursts into joy that comes with the security of knowing that God is preserving his life. You feel it in verses 9 to 11. Look there. He says, my heart's glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. You will not abandon me. I will not see corruption. You show me the path of life. I have joy in your presence. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Dripping with joy. Oozing with exuberance. So here you have it, David, verse one. He's saying, preserve me. He's saying, I feel insecure, I'm vulnerable, I'm afraid. And now in verses nine to 11, he lays out this string of passionate acclamations of what it's like to be attached to God. Is your relationship with God like that? Are there times where you just can't help but sing? Now you might say, Pastor, listen, I'm just not a very emotional person. I do this Christian thing because it's true. It provides cognitively coherent worldview. It gives me answers to things like where the world came from, why we're here, how the world works, and where things are headed. I hear you, that's you, and you're right. Christianity does do that. But what if God is more than that? What if he is someone who is more than just someone to give cognitive assent to? And maybe more, just as important is, what if you're more than just a thinking being? Or you might say, uh, Pastor, you're all mixed up in this feeling stuff. You've gotten a little bit too into this psalm thing. There's a lot of other parts of the Bible we could, we could be in. Okay. You might say uh, Christianity is a morality. It teaches us the best way to behave in the world. It's an ethic. That's what Christianity is. And I hear you. You're right. Christianity is an ethic. But what if it's more than that? What if it's more than just something to live out. You see, God is a person. And if you had a person who protects you like God, you wouldn't be able to help but be affected by that person. See, in other words, you would respond with great love for that person who took care of you. See, brothers and sisters, verse 10 where it says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. What that is, is this God saying, I'm not gonna let anybody or anything, not even death, get between me and you. That's how fiercely passionate God is for you. See, God sent his prized possession, his beloved son, Jesus Christ, to the earth at great cost to himself so that he might have you. And even more than that, what God is doing today is that he is making sure that Satan, the world, and your own sinful nature don't 
strike a mortal blow on your life. He's protecting you even now. And when you see that, you'll begin to see God's lavish, sacrificial, protective love for you. And you'll see that he's more than someone you simply give cognitive assent to. He's more than just a way to live. He'll be someone who becomes the love of your life. Let's pray. Lord, we we know perhaps now more than ever that we are in danger. And we cry out, preserve us, O God. And Lord, I pray that you would work us up into a song. Help keep truth before our eyes this week. Give us that grace. In Christ's name, amen.